And I spread a song so you can sing along With my special guest star or two You like to sing and dance And this podcast by chance Explores musicals for you everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me today is a very special guest she reached out to me on instagram and requested this wild and crazy movie because she's a performer and video content creator based out of new orleans i hope i said that right and she has a one-woman virtual project called the music woman which i'm very intrigued to watch like binge watch whenever it's Brittany luberta i I fucked up your last name luberta luberta uh something like that yeah Yeah. hi Brittany. hi john thank you for reaching out this movie was wild (laughs) did you did you watch it oh yes i did okay because i watched it last night and I got my my points. <laughs> Great. So we're talking about the Music Man, but we're talking about the TV movie version that came out in 2003, which, funnily enough, you probably, you, Brittany, probably know this, but you, listener, may not know this. So Christian Chenoweth is in the movie. This is around the same time that she was working on Wicked, like getting mm-hmm. it up on Broadway. So fun fact, everyone. The story is by Meredith Wilson and Franklin Lacey. They wrote, I believe, the book for the stage version. This TV movie, though, was adapted by Sally Robinson. Music and lyrics by Meredith Wilson. Directed by Jeff Bleckner. Bleckner? Ooh, I'm so bad with last names, as we've discussed. And according to IMDb, which I got some questions from this one. A masterful con artist tries to bilk a staid Midwestern community with unexpected results in this contemporary rethinking of the legendary Broadway musical and lively 1962 film updated to reflect several early 21st century sensibilities. Where? Where was any of that? There wasn't. I think they just hired someone to make a bio and they put all of the um, boost words in it. And that's that. Because I was, I was just like, I mean, it's not an all-white cast, so is that what they meant? That's a good point, but yeah, it doesn't really stray away. There are a couple of things that they do take out, which I thought was interesting, um, but not really, it wasn't really a contemporary retelling. Yeah. I mean, the Music Man is the Music Man. There is no really anything you can do with it, because it's very of its own time of the time I should say so like if you were you can't really modernize it because then it won't make sense um maybe you can push it up to like the 50s but like that's all look and everything that's not like changing any language or anything like that no so yeah that's crazy uh So one of my questions that I wrote down is, what is this movie? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I don't know if you listen. One of my fav- one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is How Did This Get Made? And Jason Manzukis on that. I had him in my head just going, What is this movie? Oh, it's so wild. <laughs> I wanna I wanna know like why. Um, because I am definitely looking at this movie through rose-colored glasses. Okay. So it's one of those, like, I know it's awful. I know it's not the best music man you're ever going to see, but I know that it's near and dear to me. And it inspired me to create art and inspired me to have, like, an entire career performing and, like, singing high like Marion. It was an introduction because I grew up not having... I, I grew up not going to Broadway shows or going up right. to New York to go see Broadway. Um, I grew up with whatever content was readily available to me, you know, whether or not it was a friend who had it or your teacher showed it to you. So the problem with the 1960s, if I can say that, it, that sounds like sacrilegious, but if I can, was that I first saw it when I was eight years old and it was an old movie. It was grandma's movie. The original version, the 1962 The original version. So I knew about it. So then the 2003, now I'm like in middle school, (laughs) you know, a a young woman. (laughs) Uh uh You know, I can, you know, I was appreciating at the time classical music because it was the first time I was starting to hear that stuff besides, um, you know, pop music on the radio or whatever your friend was showing you the brand new CD she got. So when I saw that they were making a made-for-TV movie, I was like, this is awesome. I know the music, man, because my, you know, my third grade teacher showed it to me. So when it was coming to TV, it was new, you know, and it was for, you know, it was made now. I'm not really like a contemporary, like a a retelling, but more of like, it's not going to look like old grandma movie. It's going to look like new movie. Right. And they used, uh, actors that people knew in the early 2000s um i did read though that sarah jessica parker was considered for marion i believe so that would have been an interesting choice but we got christian chenoweth so thank god yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like i don't know for me i was watching it and i was just i did not believe matthew broderick by any means, as a sleazy salesman. He, it looked like, you know, he was forced to do this movie by gunpoint because he always, (laughs) he always had like a very surprised look on his face. Like, I'm only doing this for the money, dude. uh, So I'm going to phone it in. I mean, I'm I'm sorry if I'm ruining your, (laughs) your... The thing is, it's like, you can't hurt me with things I already tell myself. I totally agree with that. (laughs) No, I I agree. This is going to be a great conversation then. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was watching it. um, I was watching it last night in trouble. You know, I was, I was wanting some oomph because he's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's trouble. And everyone else is like, oh my goodness, you know? And he's like, yeah, yep, there, there, there's trouble. Yep. I mean, Matthew Broderick can sing the shit out of this role. Let's be real here. He could sing the oh. shit out of any role. It's just that he's too nice looking to be mm-hmm. like a sleazy Harold Hill type, I feel like. Right. It also didn't hurt that like a few months ago, I rewatched Inspector Gadget and <laughs> the, the movie version that he was in. <laughs> oh, oh. So I'm tainted by that a little bit. Okay. (laughs) 
But like, I don't know. There were some points where I was just bored watching this movie. Like they mm-hmm. didn't, he didn't captivate me. Um, everyone was all over the place acting wise. It felt like, mm-hmm. you know, you had some people who were like, we're doing musical theater, sticky acting. And then you had Matthew Broderick on his own drugs. Um, <laughs> my, my favorite part is, uh, you know, after you know till there was you and they're on the footbridge and she's like I knew the whole time and she's giving it her all you know and uh, Kirsten Chenoweth she's just you know and I'm there. like oh I love it it's in her eyes I love it and then he's just like you knew and it was just, it's just so like one note oh he's not giving her anything he's not giving her anything <laughs> I was like oh man because growing growing up, um, you know, watching this movie, because this is what I had available to me, um, I never really felt like Harold Hill loved her. You know, I, it, it wasn't until I read the script when it was like, well, when does Harold Hill actually love her? And it says, you know, as he's like looking at the piece of paper after he's like, oh, she's been playing me this whole time. Uh, but because of Matthew Broderick's performance right there, <laughs> I just was even later when he sings till there was you, like before he um, gets arrested. I'm like, why are you singing? You know, what, what is she really to you? You know? So yeah, definitely the, the wooden performance. I highly agree. It, yes, yes, uh, it also feels like she like changed her mind real fast. Cause mm-hmm. you know, she was very much like, I see right through you. And then when Winthrop got his coronet, she's just like, oh, I'm in love. I was just like, where, where is this coming from? What is okay, this? Can we talk about the score underneath? Yeah, less, let's. It's beautiful because it, it'll go into, um, I believe it's My White Knight. Because mm-hmm. um, I've never heard this when I was watching the 1960s version. It's not in there. And I'm like, oh, it's my favorite part because the music underneath is doing the heavy lifting of she's falling in love with him. Because I think first it goes my white knight and then it turns into um, till there was you like underneath because now like you can kind of hear like her brain kind of going. And I have some thoughts about that, too. I read an article one time that's like, why did she fall in love with him? Because her brother got a clarinet or whatever, a cornet. Cornet, <laughs> a trumpet, if you will. And um, and I think it's just because like she's has she has so many walls. Uh, sorry, let me back up. I read Meredith Wilson's, but he doesn't know the territory, which is the making of the musical and that whole process. And he was fighting with this guy about what the music man actually is about. And he said the music man is about two lonely people. Marion Peru and Harold Hill. And I never knew that they were lonely. And I felt like such a bad actor because I never knew that they were lonely. And in that scene, when she does fall in love, I believe that she's just built so many walls and made so many excuses to distance herself because she doesn't want to be hurt, you know, because she is lonely. I mean, all of her songs is about just wanting someone to understand her, someone with her, and she doesn't have that. And with when her brother who she hasn't heard his voice in like two years you know he's like sister sister have you never and he's just like rambling off I believe that uh we use the word triggered a lot 
you know, as mm-hmm. like mm, those snowflakes being, tra-. but you know, when you, when you have dealt with, with trauma or you have dealt with, you know, really building up these walls so you, that you don't hurt and then they get just, you know, demolished in a moment right. and triggered. I think that that's, that's her moment where it's just the floodgates are just open because now she's not lonely anymore. She has her brother and she, she didn't have her brother before. So now she's like, oh, hey, you know, maybe you're bringing good. I'm, oh. for me though, it just felt a little fast. Like I get all of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It, it, I just feel like, you know, it felt a little, I don't I guess like too cinematic for me. Like, like she would, she was very much very headstrong. And then, in like two seconds, she's just like, I love you. <laughs> in the in the script for the yeah, because in the script for the musical, it says, you know, she's starting to fall in love with him. Like there's like a, a line. I'm paraphrasing it. But I'm like, as an actor, I'm like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> like because they right spent there. they spent so much time with him stalking her around the town that it's mm-hmm. like you could have like spent another minute of her like seeing the subtext on her face you know like the 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 walls like you said breaking down we could have had that minute like Mm -hmm. could do do we need to see them do this weird like stalker prey situation after he came into town no i don't i don't like that i i didn't like that i felt i felt very much like i needed my rape whistle for her (laughs) (laughs) oh boy um but like because this is a tv movie did you appreciate the commercial breaks quote-unquote in them because i watched it on prime and like there was a definite like second of black screen where they're like and this is where the commercials are (laughs) i think because i'm so you know because i under you know because i understand that it's a tv movie because the same thing happens when you watch cinderella with brandy you Mm. know and, and all that so i'm like whatever they're just doing some cross dates it's okay <laughs> it was yeah. a nice little break though to be like what just happened oh i have a second to think about it okay and now we're back <laughs> especially after wells fargo when she is like oh i'm in love with him oh my and God, then wells fargo wagon <laughs> that so i did look it up the kid that played winthrop ended up going to goth the tv show gotham mm-hmm. um playing what we who we assume is the joker i believe i don't know i didn't really finish that show i'm a nerd i guess in every way um i play video games and he plays the lead character in jedi fallen order and i'll go that's winthrop (laughs) every time i play it watching he was another one that i was just like oh my god child actor what the choices were made with him like you 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 had the wooden performance from Matthew Broderick, you know, a veteran actor. And then this kid shows up and you're like, you don't know acting. <laughs> but he's cute. He's cute. <laughs> he's cute. He got the lisp down and that's really all you need when you're Winthrop. You need that overemphasized lisp. I did, I did enjoy him coming into frame to like kick the shins out of Matthew Broadwick towards the end. <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> and just, just kicks him. Uh, I hate you. You lied to me. Kick, kick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so good. So were you ever in a production of The Music Man? No, 
I never was. It was just one of those that always evaded me. Uh, there was one in town, but I was out of town performing. How dare you? I know. So offended. But okay. So, you sh- so sometimes I ask this at the end uh, with some of my guests, but like if you were in a production like tomorrow, like you got cast in it, but you could pick any role that you want, who would you be? Oh, that's so hard because I mean, obviously, like I would say, I, w- I want Marion. Right. Uh, well, you could play Winthrop, you could play Harold, you could play I, the mayor. I, I think I would be Marcellus. Is that the, that's the friend, right? That's the friend. Yeah. The one that sings Shapoopy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh my God. So I've seen the 60s movie. I was actually in a production of it when I was a teenager playing the constable. But like, there were things that I blacked out i guess because i forgot that the shapoopy was a thing that harold hill makes up yeah i thought that was their hometown dance or something (laughs) right and then when you read the script because i had only seen the movies up to that point i never actually saw production so when i read the script of of the show that way i could you know honor the music plan a bit more besides the movies uh with my my project it was in the gym and it was like act one yeah, I read that it was uh, earlier. Well, so the on on the Wikipedia page, it's like the second song in Act Two. Oh yeah, yeah. It like it doesn't happen at right the very end, to, right? Yeah. Yeah, this big number, and then you have Tiller was you, which both movie versions do, but that's not the the production. It's a, it's a number. So it's for the, number. and it's finally great to talk about Shapoopy because. Sometimes when I end episodes of the podcast, I don't know what to say. So I just shout Shapoopy and say goodbye to everyone. So now it. now people will know if they do, didn't know already that Shapoopy is from the Music Man. It's a real thing. I'm not making up a word here. I promise. Mm-hmm. The girl that's hard to get. That's what Shapoopy is. Yeah, exactly. But you can win her yet. But you can win her yet. Um, so let's talk about the stage version for like a hot second. Perfect. Meredith Wilson, it took him something like eight years to write it. And he wrote like 40 songs for it. Um, This this movie version has 22 songs, including the opening credits and the end credits. Mm -hmm. But the stage version doesn't have an, I I don't think it really has an overture. I think it just starts with Rock Island, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, Maybe. I could be wrong. I'm never. Yeah, I, I, I have an overture. I have okay. an overture in my my program. But then there's also there's two songs that were cut from the stage version, which were "Light a Rose" and "Will I Ever Tell You." Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you included those into your. Oh God, I can't wait to see you do the quartet. Now that I'm thinking about it. So it has been the most difficult to make your own barbershop quartet yourself because everything has to be quiet in your house. Yes. And so I've had to send my husband to go fishing and he was like, oh, darn, I have to go fishing. And I'm like, yeah, get out of the house. I have to do barbershop. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have to do another take. Go go fishing again. <laughs> get out of my house. I have it too. And then I have ice cream and sincerely. You have ice cream? Or sincere, yeah, ice cream, ice cream. Oh, yes, 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 yes. When, yes. They, when they get together. And then it's you, which I love. Okay, what I love in the 2003 version is that they have 
you know, they sing, yes, it's you, oh, yes, it's you. And they have like this up-tempo version of it's you um, that doesn't exist anywhere. And that's what made that song my favorite, you know, when I, when I heard, you know, when I first saw this version was that up-tempo. Because then I thought it was just really nice of a moment for, you know, Harold Hill, like, yes, you're falling in love, but like falling in love isn't just this romantic thing. It's also just having fun with the other person. So it was nice to see the two characters just have fun together. The quartet, I have to say, was my favorite part of the movie. Well, one of my favorite parts of the movie. They were they were so good. But I'm sorry, back to the stage version. We went on a deep tangent. Uh, It opened on Broadway December 19th, 1957. It actually played in two different venues and then it closed April 15th, 1961. So it had a pretty healthy run. And I believe it was revived twice and now it's being revived again. How do you feel about that? I mean, I love the music, man. And it's just, it's so deep whenever someone asks me like, what's your favorite musical or what's your top five? I'm like, God, oh, it's music, man. Like there, there's, there's no other. I, I will say though, Hugh Jackman, I would buy more as a Harold Hill type character than Matthew Broderick for sure. Yeah. Now that we know that that there's choices. Yes. (laughs) We can have. And and the stage, the, uh, the stage version originally won five Tonys in 1958. It won best musical, uh, best performance of a leading actor, best performance of a featured actress, which, okay. I'm a little confused about this. Barbara Cook won for best featured actress, right? But she played Marion. Shouldn't Marion be considered a leading actress role? Hmm. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't know yeah. the. Per, I don't know if this was one of those things where it's like she was guaranteed a win if they were in that category, rather than lead. You know, it's all politics. What word shows? Yeah. Uh, it also won best performance by featured actor, and then there was this category that was that I think they got rid of at some point in the 60s, maybe. Best Conductor and Musical Director. There was also a Best Technician Award that it was nominated for. I was just like, where's this? Why can't I win this one? Right, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so you're a lover of all musicals besides this one. I Or most musicals, I should say, besides this one, right? Okay. This one is, I feel like, a sort of hybrid musical where it has songs within the world, such as the quartet singing, like what are, what were some of those? It's you or good or uh, good night ladies or whatever. But then there are other like musical numbers happening with like rock Island and the patter song of you got trouble, but like, that's his speech really. Uh, am I wrong in assuming that? Or cause like, it seemed like the quartet is in the universe and then right. like Till There Was You is musical theater land. Right, there's like diegetic music and then non-diegetic. Oh, good, you know that term, great, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I, like I said, I blacked out a lot of details about this show because I don't know why, but that was one of them that I was like, oh, okay. We're in the world singing, and now we're not in the world singing. Great. The other thing that was a little confused about that, I don't know if 
any of your resources that you read. How old is Marion supposed to be? I think they said like 26, 28 or so. Um, last night um, when I was watching it, he he was at the footbridge and he was like, oh, you're late. She goes, no, I'm not. And he's like, no, you're 26 years late. So. Uh, and Winthrop is supposed to be 10? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just leaving that out there <laughs> in the universe. Yeah, no, Meredith Golson, he talked in his uh, biography about the show um, that he he called called it, um, he wanted a spastic kid. So I don't, those were his, his words. He, he wanted a kid that was, that had, that had something. And I believe that the kid was pulling way too much focus. So they had to, they had to give him something. So it was a, like a lisp. (laughs) He didn't say anything about like, is it Mrs. Peru's kid? Is it actually Marion's kid? You know? Well, so that's that's interesting you bring that up because have you watched the show Schmigadoon? Oh, not not yet. No. Okay, I won't I won't spoil it then for you because spoiler spoiler when you watch it though I feel like Ariana Du Bois's character is supposed to be the Marion of that story. Keep right. that in mind. And sorry to spoil it to you, listener, if you haven't seen it yet. It's fine. But, you know, as as the actor, if you're Mrs. Peru, it's why, if both children are my biological children, why is there such a, you know, a big age gap in between? Mm. So, I mean, it could be, you know, like, women's health wasn't really a big thing in 1908. So, that's all I can think about is, you know, mm. just... The other thing, though, and I just thought of this, is that maybe there are other children between those two. Mm -hmm. We just don't see them. Right. Or Or they, or unfortunately they died somehow. So they just don't talk about it. No, it's, uh, it's 1908. So conceal don't feel, you know, if you don't talk about it, (laughs) then it doesn't happen. Yeah. Cause there's the one line about uh, Mr. Peru passing away and that's why Winthrop doesn't talk but other than that nothing else about him that's it and as an actor going through this the script trying to make connections or why why are they doing this or why are they saying these things I just I realize that Harold Hill and Marion don't really say what they mean like they they hide a lot they have a lot of covers both of them I mean I couldn't really tell with Matthew Broderick's performance but yeah yes he was saying things and looked like a robot the whole time so right and just looking like blankly surprised i guess the dead eye surprise the dead oh my god those eyes they're so wide and dead and you're just like i do have to say so when this movie came out i had a sister that was like oh look it's ferris bueller dancing with kids during 76 trombones and that's how she connected it Yep, I could see that. Yeah. I was just watching it. And I was like, wait, is Matthew Broderick actually a good actor? Or is he only a very specific type of character that he could play? Mm. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this. Know. But I did look up Meredith Wilson a little bit. You mm-hmm. Okay, so you read, have you read his other book when he was, uh, so there was the one 
that he wrote after the Music Man came out, but there was one that he wrote while he was writing the Music Man. Have you read all of them? I didn't read the the Piccolo one. I only read, but he doesn't know the territory. Okay. Um, because I don't know if you read that and he doesn't know the territory, but I he grew up in Iowa and he just based <laughs> Music Man about his hometown and experience. And I saw that he wrote three other musicals after Music Man, because Music Man was his first one. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote The Unsinkable Molly Brown about, oh crap, what's her name? That plays her in Titanic. <laughs> Kathy Bates. Yeah. yeah. Kathy Bates plays her in Titanic. Um, he wrote Here's Love, based off of Miracle on 34th Street. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote a uh, another musical called 1491, which is the story of Columbus's attempts to finance his famous voyage. And apparently, like, Music Man was such a big success and everything. And then Unsinkable Molly Brown was temperate and moderate and people knew about it. Here's Love is like, meh. And then 1491 is like a flop, if I remember. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah, but also um, he was in the military during World War II and he wrote a bunch of World War II songs, patriotic songs. Yeah, um, yeah, I read that, that he was also like a, a songwriter and a piccolo player. Yeah. Which is, now we, now thinking about the Music Man, it's, in, it's great that he, I mean, he played the piccolo and he makes Tommy Gillis like, invent a stand for the piccolo player yeah which i don't think there really is one if i remember if i remember my marching band correctly oh <laughs> yeah um i think he based tommy gilas and I, I got a hot take about that too but um with with tommy he based it off of like this cool kid that he knew growing up like he was a troublemaker and everything but he was also like the cool kid and he was kind and uh, so he wrote him into the music man that's so sweet it was like one of the first characters that um that popped up huh. and i do enjoy that the 2003 version includes my white knight versus the other song in the 60s version that marion sings right there i don't know the song because i'm like no it doesn't exist being in <laughs> so, love being in love no that's no no uh, my White Knight, he talks a lot in his biography about My White Knight and how when he finally figured out, you know, My White Knight, not a Lancelot, nor an angel with wings, just someone to love me, who's not afraid of a few nice things. When he when he figured out those lyrics, that's when he went, that's Marion, because he was having an, a hard time with Marion. And he just, he was trying to form her and it was until he figured out that she just wants someone who likes a few nice things, then that was her. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, when you take that away, (laughs) when you take that song away, I feel like you're taking Marion away and the creation of Marion away. So I was very happy in the 2003 version that they included it versus the other one. Because her other song is Till There Was You, which when you make it sound like My White Knight sounds like her I Want song, if Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Not till there was you. What was the one that I? Good night, my someone. Good night, my someone. That one might also be her "I Want" song, if you play it right. I mean, yeah. Can can a, can a character have two "I Want" songs in a show? 
I think so. Um, my husband has this saying where he goes, well, you know, it's fiction and none of it matters. <laughs> none of it's real. That's true. So I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, I want break all the rules. I think I want a man. Yeah, that's art. Just break all the rules. I personally love Rock Island. This and this one, I didn't rewatch the 1962 movie for this recording, and like I wanted to, but I, I feel like it's all it's. You can't really change that song. It needs to be that patter and that beat and everything. But mm-hmm. I feel like for this movie, they added more external noises from the singing patter. And they also added score underneath it. They did. Okay. They did. And then they'll have, you know, 76 trombones playing underneath the patter. Uh, yeah. That, that's... <laughs> one of the verses in that, um, sometimes I just like to burst it out. Uh, uh, okay, I was at theater camp. <laughs> I went to it all camp, uh, like a all arts camp uh, when I was a kid. And it may have been... It was before this movie. I think it was around 2002 that I was in it and it's now 2021 so that's what Mm -hmm. 19 years later and I still have it running in my head (laughs) yeah you must have these songs in your nightmares like because of this project that you're doing it's not the songs it's the staging (laughs) oh no it's how do I take a 3D way of storytelling, compressing it into 2D to then make it feel 3D again. And and because uh, with with stage, you can't really leave. Um, but here, <laughs> like what, 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 what both movies do um, is you have to, it's a, it's a different way of uh, visual storytelling. So mm-hmm. like the movies, they have to speak film language versus stage language and that's what I have to do at the same time too is I'm trying to stage it like how would I stage this you know on a stage on a physical stage with 50 people and then how do I translate that to me with squares that move and transitions and whatnot so do you think you're going to come to New York to see the revival oh yeah yeah (laughs) there was like a bit of controversy I remember over this revival because they kicked Beetlejuice out of the theater and everything. But that theater is massive. So expect a large set. Oh, that'd be beautiful. I mean, and plus you've got Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. Like they're great. I don't know the rest of the cast or uh, I don't have it pulled up right now. I don't know if it's still true anymore because, you know, after lockdown, people might have left. People may have been recast. I know there was the producer controversy that he left. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of controversy around the show that hasn't opened yet. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Around a revival of the music man of all shows. Like, Right. I'm like, this is one of those... Broadway shows that I feel like are so wholesome that I don't understand how how it's so dramatic before it's open. I mean, I I could understand, but like, it's such a wholesome show. Like, it is. Like, no one dies. There's no violence. Uh There's a there's a 
there's a, a little bit of a of a of like a um uh mob mentality but like you have to have some sort of conflict otherwise it would be super boring of a show and i mean you got children who doesn't like children i guess right my husband we we watch this together like once a year because it's you know my my favorite musical and he's supportive and he laughs <laughs> every time when the barbershop starts singing ice cream ice cream and he, he just starts laughing and he goes barbershop is my favorite and i'm like the barbershop is everyone's favorite like even from like 1950s everyone was like man i love the barbershop and then also at the very end when all the kids start playing and it's awful yeah and, and then they and then they're like semi-professional when they replace uh 76 trombones right yeah and you're like wait what how do you guys know this one honestly so um a couple years ago i was a choir director for elementary and middle school and we had a christmas concert and i was like best case scenario we have a music man moment (laughs) like all the kids are off pitch and breathing at different times and it's just a mess and all the parents are like that's my baby yeah that's all you need and they'd be like oh thank goodness i have to say that is like one of the truest and honest things that the movie says is like no matter how awful they may sound like parents will lose their shit if their kid is on stage doing something oh yeah like parent child love supersedes like talent which is great because yeah. you know kid these kids need a morale boost I guess. Yeah, only the kid did show up with instruments and, and the uniforms, the uniforms. <laughs> You know, I didn't lie. <laughs> so the quartet in the original production um, and subsequently the film, apparently, and this is all from Wikipedia, so I'm citing my source. Please don't come at me. The school board was played by the 1950 International Quartet Champions of the Society of the Preservation and Encouragement of Barbershop Quartet Singing in America. So many letters when you squish it down. Um, the, uh, and they're called the Buffalo Bills. So they hired professionals to do this. It wasn't like theater actors playing the quartet. It was an actual quartet acting like a quartet. Exactly. <laughs> I, found, and, I, I just found that interesting. So, and I'm like, and don't totally quote me because I read, but he doesn't know the territory last October as I was starting on my project, but uh-huh. I believe, I think it said that the barbershop, that was the first time they had actually, like a barbershop quartet was ever on stage, like on a production. Like a real barbershop, not actors playing a barbershop quartet, like an actual one you're talking about. When I was reading it, it sounded like it was just utilizing barbershop quartet. Oh, I would believe you. I mean... Musical theater isn't really as old as people think. So mm-hmm. the fact that Barbershop Quartet being added into a musical that came out in 19, what did I say, 57? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would believe that. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? No, I I, I just find, like, just talking about the, the movie, I, I'm a big film nerd, too. Well, I mean, I didn't have... I would do um, like children's theater 
on stage, but I mostly, my information came from movies. So movie musicals um, or wh whatever was on TV, uh, whatever I had access to. So watching the film last night, I thought that the Dutch angles were very interesting, <laughs> especially during Lighter Rose and Will I Ever Tell You, which I love that. I love that. That's my favorite song because I love how quiet Marion starts. It's not this like an orchestra. It's this very beautiful, intimate, the way that they start that. So the way that they start, um, I don't know this part's like sharps and flats, but just how just intimate it is and how she's singing to herself, especially since she's going to be singing with the barbershop. So when it, she is by herself, it's not this like luscious orchestra, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this, you know, maybe like some strings and it's, it's just a beautiful moment. I love it. it. I know we kind of shat upon like the acting in the movie and everything, but when you talked about how like you didn't necessarily like go to Broadway or theater wasn't as big in your town, I do feel like this is a good representation of theater for people in the same situation where, you know, there is no like they have to drive 30 miles or something to the community theater that we'll do a show once every other month or something like that. So like this, I do feel like this is a good movie. It's not the greatest. It's a good one. We can do better. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> if, if they wanted to, instead of reviving it on Broadway, just have Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster star in a movie version of it. I would be great with that. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's get into Sharp and Flat, shall we? Sharp Flat. In this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about them. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it or thought it could change, it's flat. Brittany is my guest. I'll have you go first. What are your sharps? What did you like about... I mean, you could say the whole movie because it's your favorite movie ever. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that? Um <laughs> Yeah, the, the the whole movie. I love it. And I think it's just not, besides like the interesting choices and the wooden acting or any of that, I believe that it captures the nostalgia of early time, like before the World Wars, especially because, mm. you know, when you think about it later, you're like, this is 1908. And then World War I, you know, World War I starts. <laughs> You know, and you're like, I'm not going to think about that. We're just going to have, like, nostalgia for this time. I love it. And, uh, man, Amaryllis is still the sneaky little thing that she is. Where did she Where did she go after her little scene? She just disappears, right? Yeah, I think she shows up in some, in, in the choral numbers. But, yeah, she, she I mean, she's away. in the ensemble of children, I should say. But, like, there is no other moment with her. Oh, she goes, I got a box of uh, maple sugar on my birthday. And she's oh. like staring the woman or staring the other girl in her eyes. of like, this is my solo. <laughs> Man, Amaryllis. I didn't write her down. I, I, I did love her reading Marion to Phil. Oh my God. <laughs> I was just like, ooh, girl, <laughs> we're well, going there. My favorite is, you know, like, I don't want to end up an old maid like you. And then she goes, <gasps> Like she covers her mouth and I'm like, you know what you did? See Winthrop, that's acting. She's yeah. over it. I mean, 
there are people in this movie that are acting. There are people that are overacting. And then there's like the group that is like, what is acting? Mm-hmm. So pick one. Um, I really love the quartet, as I said. I also liked whatever drugs everyone was on. Like, (laughs) you know, there was a mountain of cocaine somewhere for them. I also am sharpening Molly Shannon and the other ladies, the other pickle little ladies. I was going to totally say Molly Shannon. Like, (laughs) definitely a shot for me. And I love, I love her and I love how what she does to you Laylee Shin because it just uh I guess you just feel a little sorry for her you know because she has to honor her husband but at the expense of her and her own expression and everything and what I love at the end is you know she wants to stand up for what she believes in because that's what she's been trying to do and she keeps getting shut down with her husband and I mean as a wife you know that's something that you're kind of conditioned to do you know well, he has the last say and you have to honor that. And what I love is how she does sit down and then other women help her up. And Isn't then it she Mrs. Peru part. helps her up? Yes. Yeah. And I just so, thought like that was so nice because like in the beginning they were just being like really nasty bitches, you know, if I can say that. No, you, you know? can say anything you and want. It's just like, you know, like hurt people hurt people. Cause I'm like, you know, you gotta think about the pick a little ladies. If they're gossiping and being so nasty about Marion, they gotta be nasty about each other too. Like there's not really a women's support group at all. Oh, if yeah. that's how they're tweeting, here's this stranger, and they're like, let's give you some dirt about this girl, you know. And, and then, then you just, know when like one of them is off in the bathroom or something, they're all talking shit about her. Exactly. Like it's not in a contained little box. So I love at the end that the women, if you notice the women are the, the first women ones are the first to ones stand up. up. Yes, I noticed yeah. that. It was yeah. all the women and girls, like all, all the, out of the children's chorus, it was all the girls that stood up. And then you had um, the husbands and boys stand up. But then the women help her up. And I was like, oh, I love that. Cause uh, in the sixties version, she's like, she's playing it off as um, like, oh, well, my husband says this. Well, my, you know, and like having that position of power, but with Molly Shannon, you, you see the way that she wants to stand up for herself and she wants to have a voice for herself. She's so Can I tell you every time like Molly Shannon, when she does like her, her singing of the Columbia song and she's got like the big old, like, um, her dress that she just lifts her arms up. Yeah. My husband, anytime that he sees like a woman in her fifties, that's like past her prime. He's like, Oh, it's you. like like Molly Shannon and I'm like I love her I was like I'll take it I love her I also really love their ugly hats that they wear in pick a little talk a little like they're gross I love them I love them (laughs) (laughs) um I also kind of dug the movie magic in Mary and the Librarian where Matthew Broderick just like pops into frame randomly in different places and I love the dream sequence. I may have blocked that out watching it yesterday. <laughs> Probably. Like she transforms into a book because then it starts playing. Um, and it's something that they added. So, you know, we're having Mary in the librarian. And then she's like shushing all the other people. And the music goes into all I want is a plain man. Da, 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 and she's like dreaming about her dream man. And then in comes an obvious stunt double. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. Yes. No, that was Matthew Broderick. What are you talking about? Doing all those flips and things. Oh, okay. Well, it's totally Matthew Broderick. Totally. And that's why it was so framed so far away. Uh huh. And from and from behind his head. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have this luscious, beautiful uh, dance together. I think that was something that I really enjoy about this versus um, in like the 60s where she's like, oh, I guess I am going to dance with you. And that, that feels very, you know, the stage production. But I just love that they utilize film to um, to convey that because you can't. My last sharp is Deborah Monk playing that bass drum in the parade. <laughs> Fucking love it. I get it. Like Mrs. Like she, I loved her performance in this movie mm-hmm. to begin with. But then she adds that uh, cheesiness at the end, where she's like, "I'm playing the bass drum now." Like, okay. Um. So every once in a while, when I do this section, I, we do sharp and flat. But there's a thing that I like to call a natural where it's neither really sharp nor flat but i do need to like highlight it and we didn't really talk about the choreography in the movie but it is wild in this movie (laughs) like the dance breaks in 76 trombones and mary and the librarian are insane i don't know if i liked it or hated it but i just needed to like highlight it and then the the choreography and the piano lesson where they're setting the table while they're doing this. I was like, this is, what is this? <laughs> the choreography is great, but it's also wild <laughs> and crazy. And you're just like, I don't know what I'm watching. I think I like it, but I had, and then also um, in this version, everyone just seems so horny. <laughs> Am I right? Am I wrong? You've seen this movie how many, like, what? Conservatively a hundred times? Um, conservatively, like, three. Three hundred times. Three hundred yeah. times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. People are horny in this movie, right? Like... I forgot. I think it was Barbara Cook. Oh, it was Barbara Cook, or it was Shirley Jones. It was a beautiful Broadway diva. I think she said, ah, oh, man... Don't have to be post-production, like your voice is coming over, like Barbara Cook. Barbara you know? Cook said this. <laughs> said this. Um, she said that she plays her scenes horny. <laughs> that that's how you know she. You know you want something, and she. That's how she she acts in these in these scenes that she's she wants to get some, and yeah. Well, Deborah Monk was the horniest of all of them in this movie. Oh, Let's absolutely. do it here. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then also as a natural, Victor Garber's performance, like he wasn't too caricature-y and he wasn't too straight man. It was it was somewhere in like this weird middle ground that like he, he showed be, up. He showed like, up. But you were saying some people are like, I'm really acting, and some people are like, I'm on set. And here's my lines. So yeah, Victor Garber is at his Victor Garber. I agree. Yeah, it, what, he's not as bad as Matthew Broderick, but like we needed to find like the right tone with him. One tone, not all the tones, just one. Take pick one. Do you have any flats? I don't know if they're really flat, um, but I 
I love how Tommy Gillis is like a wild kidja and a troublemaker. And then on 76 trombones, like he makes some bold choices and bold choreography. I'm going to hit this move. And it goes from being like, I'm a troublemaker, like running the streets with my gang to being like, and double pirouette, you know? I was like, Ooh, Tommy, okay. He was Granted, just, he's like, in a gang in Iowa in, at the turn of the century. So how tough are they? Well, yeah, well, it feels like a West Side story. Like I'm cool, you know? <laughs> Let cool. me fan kick. Yeah, and fan kick them in the gang, and I was like, so that that always jars me because I I'm not expecting, um, you know, Broadway style right. quality from Tommy G. List. You know, I'm thinking, you know, just more cool. But I mean, he does a fantastic, fantastic job. I think I saw something that that actor was Tommy G. List on Broadway. Oh, of course, of or course something he like he. I would believe these actors played the the same roles somewhere before. Mm-hmm. Like Christian Chenoweth has probably played Marion before some in some production somewhere. Same with Matthew Broderick. Maybe he played Harold Hill somewhere before. So like, I, if you were to tell me that any one of these actors played this role in X production, broad, be it Broadway, regional, community theater, their high school, their college, whatever... I'd be like, yes, I totally uh, believe you because mm-hmm. the music man is played everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so my flats. I wrote Matthew Broderick. I'm sorry. Was... I, I'm deeply offended. <laughs> A lot of choices were made with that one. And then, okay. There was no choices. <laughs> I, well, casting him was a choice. Okay, uh, there you go. <laughs> and, then, and then I had a lot of like 2021 mindset with things that I could live without in this story and they don't really like affect that much for example when Eulalie does that Native American presentation like come on guys yeah well well, since the Washington football team became you know renamed last year yeah versus 2003 Right. right so 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 if anyone from this new Broadway revival is listening, cut that out. Have, have her do the Grecian urns again. We love the Grecian urns and the fountain trickle, trickle, trickle. We love it. Yeah. Do that. And then also how men treat the women in the town. That's very old school. Even for mm-hmm. 2003, that was like, what? In a quote unquote modern retelling of it. <laughs> Who's the other sleazy salesman that comes to town? Charlie. Yeah. When he calls Marion girly girl, I was just like, no, we don't do this, Charlie. Right. Charlie, we know better. You're a salesman. You have to romance everyone. Don't call her girly girl. We know better. Right. You, all right. Do you, you don't have any other flats? You had, it was just like Tommy Gillis going into Broadway mode. <laughs> uh, that, that's just the more jarring. <laughs> yeah. Like at, at the end, I guess just the flats was I never understood that Harold Hill did love Marion, you know, even though he sings till there was you. And so I felt the moment last night because I have done so much work going through the production script and then watching all these different versions. So I felt the moment in my own heart, but not, but my eyes did it, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. but it, there's nothing telling me that you actually do love her. 
but me with like the music, you know, pouring in my heart, I'm like, oh yes. <laughs> but that that's where it just really falls like literally flat, right? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, are there any songs from this version of the movie that you would add to your life's playlist? My husband and I, we're, we have this dream of having a home, you know, okay. of buying our own home. And I tell him, it, so we've been having all these dreams about what our home is actually going to look like. And I tell him, I'm like, I want a good night, my someone porch. I want a porch like oh, the one from the music man that I could just go and sing. Like, I feel compelled to sing good night, my someone. Good night. That's a good and, dream. Yeah. And I, then I, realized, I want that for you. Thank you. <laughs> when I was introduced to this movie, I was 12, you know, so mm-hmm. I wanted this man that would love, me, you know. Like, I, I want to find my true love who will love me. And like, I sang out of my window like a nerd, you know, singing good night, my someone. So like the wind would carry <laughs> my little voice, you know. And then I, I told my husband, I was like, I think I actually did find my white knight. I was like, literally, we live in a little cottage <laughs> that, we, yeah. that we're renting, you know, in some small town. And we have some few, nice few things. And I, I think it's so important with that song. It's like, I, I just want someone to love me because although the women, in, uh, sorry, the men that are going after her, she talks about them and they're all like just trying to just take something from her, but she wants someone that she can share her life with, that she can share her heart, but also like her mind with that wants her mind. So I'm like, oh, that's my husband. Yeah. I married that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just remembering something and I could be totally wrong. So, okay. Pickle and pick a little talk a little. They talk about how Marion befriended an older gentleman and he left the library to her and everything. Does she clarify like what actually happened? So in, the in sh- this version, they don't. Right. Okay. So, but in the other versions, she does. Right. So that's the thing that they took out. That's so weird. Right. So now it's like, well, did she have a relationship with him? I mean, yeah. it's okay if she did. Get Live your life, girl. But like, yeah. I felt like I, I'm now remembering like, wait a second. Didn't, is, there's a scene with like her and Harold where she explains, no, no, blah, blah, blah. This is what actually happened. Don't listen to these other bitches. They're, they're, you know, catty and whatnot. Right. And then he's like, well, what about Madison? And she's like, oh, Uncle Maddie? Yeah. Yeah. But that, that doesn't, that never happens um, in the 2003 version. They just cut that out. How dare they? But they left him stalking her for like a minute and a half straight. Great. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would personally love to add to my life's playlist uh, Rock Island and My White Knight. They were great. They were great in this version. Um, like I said, Rock Island, I sing whenever, and My White Knight is, we agree, it's a beautiful song. Like, it's a great I want song. Never, never, never put in the other song. Never, never. And on that note, we're done with this episode. Oh my goodness. Well, can I, I talk about Shapoopy real fast? Talk about Shapoopy. Because what I love what Marcellus does, he's like, now... He's just kind of, he, he's not a singer. I guess really, when you're casting Marcellus, you're not really a singer or a dancer. But I love when he goes, look at her now, she's got a gal who only goes for me, squeeze. Da, da. Like when he says squeeze, it's, oh, it's my favorite part. And I'm like, 
why you know when you're 12 and everyone just sings songs like how he was just interpreting um like word painting with his voice squeeze and i'm like so i included that in my shapoopy because i was like that's hands down my favorite love it i love that choice yeah. So talk so talk to me about the music woman. Plug it right now, if you will. <laughs> well, um, I am the music woman. That was me being very cheeky in my house. So the summer before in 2019, I was very busy. I was the understudy for two shows, uh, five roles. So I was doing Patsy Klein, which is 30 songs. Um, I was the understudy for Patsy Klein. And then right afterwards. I was the wonder study for all four Marvelous Wonderettes, which is uh, a two that's hour a long lot. show. That's it's a, a, lot. a lot. And I went on for three out of the four. It is so um, during the run. So, I mean, I spent all of 2019. I mean, that was three months doing two shows, you know, and just being able, you know, just preparing what? all of that. And 2020 happens and nothing's happening. And I was humdrum, you know, because our industry is gone and we're super skilled in this industry that just does uh, not there. And when I get really down on myself, I just go sing karaoke's and just go have fun. You know, just like when you're 12 years old, again, listening to your favorite Broadway cast recordings. And then you're like, Oh, I'm just going to, you know, you're going to be the entire <laughs> ensemble with choreography and you're just going to do the whole thing. So it first started with sadder, but wiser. And I was singing it. And then uh, next up was Shapoopy. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do a cover because I've been making YouTube covers for past couple of years. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do a cover of Shapoopy. And I go, wait, there's a there's a, uh, like a dance break in the middle. I'll tap dance. Wait, I don't know how to tap dance. I'll go figure out how to tap dance. Wait, what if I did the entire music, man? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And then what if I did because I was the entire Patsy Cline and I was the entire Wonderettes? So in my mind, I'm like, why don't I just do the entire music, man? So then I cheekingly and adoringly have called it the music woman. <laughs> I said the video project. And it's it's been very interesting, like I said before, taking uh, like 3D staging and then converting them into a rectangle, a 2D uh, mm-hmm. way of, of still telling the story. But it's also very freeing, too, with each song, how I'm interpreting it. Because when I was doing Shapoopy, I realized I was like, wait. I'm not Marcellus. I'm Marcella. Like I'm the girl who's hard to get. And then how I interpret that way. So yeah. So are you doing the whole show slash movie or are you just doing the songs? I'm just doing the songs. Okay, great. Where can people find that and you on social media? Awesome. Yeah. So my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Brittany Liberta. And my Instagram at Brittany Liberta and on Facebook at It's Really Brittany. But I mostly uh, interact with people on YouTube and Instagram. Nice. I can't wait to binge all of them. Right now I have just a couple. I have four. I have four videos. So as of this um, recording, you have four videos. As of this recording. So all that will be in the show notes. Anyway, so no worries about spelling anything. Um, if, and if you want to reach out to the podcast, me, you can email me at buttasongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttasongpod. Tell us what you think about how wild and crazy Matthew Broderick is in this, in this version of the movie. 
did we say something wrong? Fix, correct us. <laughs> and if or you want to be, you, what? Sorry. Or how much you love the movie. Or how much you love the movie or the stage version. Tell, and if you're working on this 2020 version, let me know if you're keeping any of that stuff that we could cut out. Um, and maybe talk to your director and be like, ah, tact. Uh, and if you want to be part of the next episode, we're going to be talking about The Lion King, not the new one. <laughs> the original 1994 animated movie with JTT. The Matthew Broderick one. Was he in that one? He was, he's Simba. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I did not plan this. I did not plan it this way. Yeah. But apparently I'm stringing movies together on accident. Oh boy. Um, okay, Brittany, um, let's she poopy dance out of this episode and say goodbye to everyone. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.